Uh, I mean, you know, the shortest Lilum set uh, ever was 12 seconds uh, <laughs> <laughs> before we got raided by the cops. Welcome back, Bannock folks. You're listening to another episode of Bannockdotes, the show that holds it down for the underground sound here in Ontario, Canada. And I'm your host, Phil Paxton. Welcome to Bannockdotes. Uh, we take people from the music scene, such as photographers, promoters, musicians, bring them on the show and have them tell some of the wildest stories they have from being in band cultures, at shows, in the studio, on the road, anything of that nature. Uh, and we play music throughout the shows. You know, we showcase genres from punk, hardcore, metal, screamo, anything of that sort. Don't forget to like and subscribe, rate and review. Follow us on our Instagram at Banecdotes, B-A-N-D-E-C-D-O-T-E-S. And if you're a band from Ontario and you want to be a part of the show in any capacity, like if you want to be on any of the New Music of the Month episodes, or you're in played in an old band from way back when and want to have your old band uh, featured on Throwback Thursday. You know, you have an old demo that no one's heard in a long time. It's not uploaded anywhere on the internet. Shoot me those demos. I will play them. The older, the better. The 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 grimier the sound, maybe the better. You know, some of the listeners don't love that stuff, but, like, I love... It's a part of history, especially for this awesome province. Shows are finally back at 100% capacity with mask and proof of vaccination of course so shows are finally rolling out again especially in the heavy and hardcore scene the stuff that we like to cover uh so we got lots of dates coming up friday december 3rd we got toys for tots which is cold shoulder annual show that they put together uh it is a charity show that they put together they donate all the uh proceeds to toys for tots you could get into the show with a new unwrapped toy so you know go to toys r us pick out a transformer and it'll go to a kid who will cherish it this christmas and uh that's in toronto at hard luck bar and dear god end game final declaration enemy of god and the homies and cohesion are opening up that show that's going to be a great show and the following day in hamilton the kill room are finally having shows back again uh we got Endgame, rust die alone and debt to society that's going to be a good one can't wait to be there and then the following day in st Catharines on the sunday december 5th we got category 514 reality denied cohesion gavel and last wretch that's going to be a great time that's happening here at the warehouse in st Catharines. uh but in london on december 12th they got some shows opening up back again at rum runners Falsifiers playing with Underlier, our homies in Underlier, Jock, they're playing, and Losing Sight. That's a killer lineup. All, all those folks have been on Banecdotes before. I haven't interviewed anyone from Falsifier just yet. Hoping to do it soon, but that is a crazy bill. That's uh, the back to business. And uh, yeah, happening December 12th in uh, London at Rum Runners. Go check that out. And Cothra actually just announced a bunch of really cool dates. They announced a tour called the Desperate Tour for Purpose. Uh, they're playing shows in Brampton, December 11th, uh, Ottawa, December 16th, uh, Sherbrooke, Quebec, uh, December 17th, Montreal, in December 18th, and December 19th, they're playing Hamilton. So if you're a, van, a fan of Cothra, a fan of Davis, I know a lot of people are, uh, make sure you go out to those shows. Cothra's a great band. Hell yeah. All right, let's get on to my guest this week. We have... 
Kirsten White, who plays in a band called Lilum, which is a feminist heavy metal band from Toronto. Uh, they put out a record in June of 2020 called Weighted Ghosts. She also fronted uh, a bratty punk rock band called Pretty Boy, which recently disbanded over the summer. But she also she does a bunch of other stuff. Uh, she's a producer in, uh, at a company called Makers Inc., which is a collection of producers that work together. Uh, she also started up a small uh, company herself where she just does handcrafted uh, jewelry and like earrings called Soft Vices. And she's also going to school to be a psychotherapist. It's, it's insane. It's so much stuff in, in one day, I imagine. So having her sit down and uh, taking an hour out of her day to talk with me was uh, very kind. And we, we had a great conversation. Her and I get along so well together. Um, so, yeah, we're going to get the show started off with a Lilum track. Here's their song, Free the Topiary.
Good afternoon. How are you doing this morning? <laughs> this uh, this Saturday is uh, all right so far. She's a she's a gray rainy baby. She's uh, the thirtieth of October, so you know the uh, the realm between the dead and the living is the thinnest. So I think it's going to be a pretty spooky day. Yeah. Do you have any plans for? I mean, either tonight or t- tomorrow for Halloween. Uh, my friend and I are going to go for a spooky walk in Ransonsvale and nice. check, make sure that all the rich people are put, are giving out the right amount of candy and, uh, and have put up the appropriate decorations. Yeah. I like that. <laughs> Otherwise they get what toilet papered. Yeah. I think we'll bring some eggs. Nice. <laughs> I love it. Love it. So I think the last time I actually seen you in person was when Lilam and Hellbent played like the show. I can't, can't, it was like the end of 2019, the beginning of 2020 at Bovine. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. It's been a while. Wake? Was that with Wake? Was that that weird? I can't remember who we played with. I know you were there. But... Oh, we played with Miners. Miners. Right. Because it was that show. Was it the showcase? The Metal on Metal Showcase? I can't remember. Huh. I remember Miners played, uh, you played, and uh, we played. I, th- I think it was just a three-band bill on uh, at Bovine. Yeah, it was, yeah. Uh, yeah, which was like the fourth, maybe the third or fourth time I'd seen Sinner. And it was like, it's always such an interesting thing to see you play in that band and then see you play in Hellbent, like the difference. Like, yeah. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's like... I like both bands personally. I just love the, di- like, I love your performance differences. Like I like that you bring in like two different personas and two different vibes and it works so well for what you're doing. I oh, appreciate that. I appreciate that. I'm glad someone recognizes that. Cause I, I do, I do try to, Oh, I love the coffee mug with the brass knucks there. Sorry. <laughs> Put a little tea, you know? <laughs> That's great. That's great. So by now I've let the listeners know what you do, but tell us in your words, what you do for the music community. For the music community, I guess I stir the shit. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I front a feminist metal band born out of uh, my, what I think is a clear need for more diversity on stage. Um, I mean, past that, I think because it's been COVID for the last couple of years, like I haven't been as active in the scene in terms of like promoting sort of the places I think are best to be giving money and support to. But normally I try to like, you know play a few shows a year that support different aspects of our social systems as well so whether it's supporting indigenous artists or uh, raising money for sistering or uh, like with our current album we're raising money for uh, black legal action Um, just trying to make sure that we're not just uh, playing music but also doing something good with our tunes yeah and that's with Lilam and pretty boy yeah, Pretty Boy is actually done. Uh, oh, really? Yeah, we retired. The band is re- is on permanent hiatus, so it's just Lilum at this point. So don't get to be my bratty teenage self as often. But um, it's uh, yeah, Pretty Boy's done, unfortunately. You guys just put out a release in June, didn't you, Darlin? Yeah, we put out two. Actually, we put out a, an album called Becky and an album called Darlene. So yeah. the Connor sisters, as we all remember, that <laughs> you two most amazing bratty teenagers I could think of. Yeah. That was sort of like our goodbye. I don't, we didn't really tell anyone. I think it was just a little sad, sad for all of us to sort of end it, but uh, we wanted to make sure that the music we'd been working on got out there. And then now, you know, all of us will go off and do different things. It's I I'm sad, but glad like two bands on top of full-time school on top of full-time work was 
a lot. <laughs> it's a lot. It can be a lot. Yeah. I don't, I, I don't know. I don't know how you do it to be entirely honest. I, uh, yeah, no drugs involved, just general, like, you know, I think I, I've said this a few times. I think it's just like the anxiety of not making is so big that I will push myself, uh, even when I have very limited energy to, to do that. Cause the, the payoff is always that you, you feel better. It's like a very selfish endeavor in that way. You're like, well, got it out. <sighs> Back to, back to regular state of being. Like. <laughs> uh, so w- which came first, Lilum or Pretty Boy? Lilum. I started Lilum 2015, 16 with two, three buds, Marty, Aaron, and Brenton. Um, again, because I was like, so, so shitty say There's just a few people in our scene that drive me insane. And I go to their shows because they're on bills. And I'm always like, if these fuck nuts can do it, like there's no reason I can't do it. So that was sort of the the drive and got that started. And then Pretty Boy, actually, Joni and Izzy started that in 2017 by themselves. It was just like a two piece. And then they sort of uh, heard about me and found me and started coming out to shows and walk, like sitting in the back and like not really. I didn't know who they were. I would just always see them at shows. And eventually they came up to me and they're like, hi, like so cute, so nervous. Hi, we're uh, we're trying to start a, like a kind of a uh, surf punk band and like would you ever be interested in something like that and I was like the the punk part yes the surf part no (laughs) (laughs) let's talk about it and then you know like originally it was Miranda who also plays with me and Lilum was in it and they are in like six bands like maybe probably the most active musician I know next to Marty and uh then they were like we can't do I can't do this anymore so Kat came over from Walmart uh and we played as a foursome till yeah, right before the panty. Wow. Yeah. Uh, do you do like, you know how, like, like you mentioned that uh, like, I very much do two different things with two different bands uh, with Hellbent and Sinner. Do you do any, were you doing anything like uh different live between the two bands to try and like, uh, like differentiate the sound? Oh yeah, for sure. I like saying like pretty boy was like, okay, I can't just like have this gnarly scream voice across everything or it'll just to me sound like Lilum. So, um, because my voice is higher and has a certain pitch, I feel like, you know, you not to be like, Oh, you know what it's me, but you, you recognize it. And so with them, I was like, okay, let's see what singing's like. Let's see what spoken words like. Let's see what, let's try everything out that I'm like kind of too scared to do in Lilum. <laughs> Cause there's like a heaviness that we're trying to capture in that world. What can I try that's different? And so I tried everything with Pretty Boy. And I got to just be, I don't know, there's like a certain, I, I don't know, I could get up on stage with Lilum and I kind of want to be a force and kind of intimidating and kind of like, you need to pay attention to what's happening. Whereas with Pretty Boy, I was sort of like, let's party. Let's friggin' let's like still talk about these issues, but like from that sense of that time in our lives where we're still trying to actually figure out what we like, where we stand, I don't know, either politically or emotionally or what we want, what, what would it be like to sort of revisit the confusion of that era? And so I feel like my performance equally always sort of captured that where it was just a bit more wild, a bit more, uh, yeah getting to play out being a brat like spitting on people you know like just you know spitting near people not on people but uh just doing whatever I wanted so it was a and there's something about working with three female identifying people as well that felt a bit safer to try those things out not that Adam and Marty ever make me feel 
like it's, they don't want that, but I feel, I still feel intimidated in the metal world most of the time. Um, so it's just a bit different. Yeah. I mean, how could you not? I mean, it, it's, it's always had such like, yeah, like the men have always like, like, yeah, I totally understand why it can be so intimidating uh, and why you would feel a little bit more comfortable to try those things uh, with, with people who identify as a female. That, that's awesome. Yeah. I wish I could say I'm like that hard that I just don't care and that I'm just going to fucking do it. But like, <laughs> it just, yeah, everyone has to have some training wheel time of trying things out in places that they're comfortable. I think that's like when people talk about like safe space, I think that's what they mean versus some of the more literal interpretations of safe space. Um, so yeah, I, I, not that, it, again, not that Lulam isn't safe, it is, but it's like, we're trying to do something very different in that space. Um, because I feel like often expressions of rage or violence or um, the ideation of those things isn't something that women or women identifying folk talk about that much. That kind of aggression is like not expected from us. Um, so I try to tap into like all of the rage that I hold in myself uh, and all the experiences that I've unfortunately had to go through and like make sure that that unbridled uh, unknowable kind of wild energy is put into that, like, and expressed clearly. Like I will, you know, like if you fuck with me, I will fuck with you. I will fucking destroy you. And, you know, that's not necessarily what I think is like useful in real life, <laughs> but, <laughs> but uh, in, 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 you know, fantasy music life, it's, um, it, I feel like it needs to get talked about because a lot of people push anger and rage down as these really negative, uh, untalked, like you can't talk about those feelings as much. So why not sing about them instead? And in, in a cathartic experience too, right? Like, uh, I, I very much, uh, can relate to just going on stage and having this, uh, you know, like therapeutic time where I'm just screaming my brains out. Like not, not a lot of people get to have that kind of experience. And uh, I love that you're doing something extra with it too. Right. Yeah. Are you, so when you, what's the difference with you in, in Hellbent and Sinner? Like, what are you lyrically sort of exploring? Yeah. So like Sinner has always been like, uh, like more of like a fantasy kind of project, like, you know, inspired from like, you know, just like folklore of like, uh, like, D and D stuff. Like I, I try and just like be as creative as I can with that kind of project. And I'm very much, I play a character on stage, as you can tell, like I, uh, I, I get into a different kind of mindset and like that, that's just as far as it goes. It's always been like a fantasy thing. And then as far as Hellbent, it's just this like silly punk rock band that just talks about smoking weed. And then like, occasionally like we'll talk about some, like, you know, uh, how important it is to like save the bees and stuff like that. And like how awesome we love dogs, just like random stuff that necessarily isn't, I mean, it's, it's fun and, and, but I wouldn't necessarily say it's important, um, but it's just silly and it's all together just, uh, just to have a good time. And it's just, I think it's just authentically myself. Yeah. That's how I kind of felt in pretty boy too, where I was like, this is sort of like the less, uh, refined uh you know adult version of me this is like yeah I totally I get that and you're right it is we're very like lucky to have the space to do that kind of stuff in like 
I mean, I go to school, I'm like training to be a psychotherapist right now. So I'm lucky enough to like have a lot of time to do a lot of cathartic deep work. Like that's part of my schooling, but I definitely know how like lucky I am to be able to express it in a couple of different forms and wish everyone could have that, you know, like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. what was the first band you played in? Was it Lilum? Yep. Well, technically into <laughs> my friend, Simon, uh, he has this band called entire cities and they are a like folk punk, uh, Ottawa Valley vibe band. And they started when I was like, we worked together at the silver dollar to give you context about <laughs> when I was like 19 and he was like, I need a drummer. And I was like, that's a, that's a shitty problem. Sorry to hear about that. And he was like, no, like, what are you doing in your free time? And I was like, I don't know. And so he took like a month and taught me how to play like some very basic drum beats. And I played two shows with them as their drummer, which was a real not great. <laughs> like really, you know, they had to operate a very slow and uh, um, medium level of skill set to let, allow me to play drums with them. So eventually I turned to Simon. And I said, like, I really appreciate you wanting to do something with me as a friend, but I don't think that this is necessarily the thing. Um, and then like 10, yeah, 10 years later. So I guess like the first real band was Lulam and that was my own, my own creation. It was, you know, I wanted to find three three people that I trusted. And like, unfortunately at that time, like, because I was so new to the scene, I didn't know anybody else except for these dudes. Right. So Lilum started off as three dudes, not because I wasn't trying to be inclusive, but because I hadn't had a chance to meet anybody yet. And these three dudes, you know, like I vetted and tested and was like, these are three guys that I think are truly feminists and like really do hold the same values that I do in terms of like quality and treating everybody well. Um, and I think that they will be patient with me. So <laughs> as I figure out what screaming, singing sounds like, and they were, so it was like a really great first experience. And I know I'm lucky again, cause like most people they're like, you know, you get three or four jams and they don't actually like the band never goes anywhere, but every band I've had the pleasure of being in, like actually, you know, went somewhere and wrote some albums and recorded some music and like gave me all these opportunities that I'd never had before. That's awesome. Uh, so, so the what got you into like heavy and like metal music growing up? Uh, for my like somatic system, for my nervous system, heavy music always calmed it. It was like kind of did the opposite of what I would experience at shows where people would be like losing their shit. Whereas for me, it would actually like hit me in a way, especially heavy bass, heavy drops, big hardcore drops mm-hmm. would like calm me. It was like like a yoga experience almost, um, you know, and I obviously grew up in the riot girl era too. So it was, it also, you know, when you went to those certain types of shows, it also felt like community. I was like, Oh, here, here, like, I don't even have to put out some sort of, you know, back in the day before we had Facebook and all this stuff, some sort of Craigslist ad looking for like-minded people. I just have to go, you know, to soy bomb. And here's, here's 30 people who I feel like kind of get what I'm about. And, you know, the side conversations we're having between tunes are like, we're all sort of interested in the same things. I was like, this is great. I'll, I'll come here more often. Like, <laughs> That's one of my favorite things about necessarily, but like the like underground, heavy, hardcore metal, all that stuff is like a lot of people who feel 
isolated and left out growing up always like a lot of the people that I talked to have said like, you know, they've never found or like hung out with people or never found it to be a good time to, or whatever. Um, but they always drive themselves towards metal. And there's always this community where like, yeah, we're the same kind of people. Like we're, we're just as much as an outcast as you. So like, let's hang out together. Like it's, that's, I've always had that like uh, sensibility from that kind of community. Yeah. It was really like reinvigorated too. now that shows are back. Like, I think I kind of forgot about it while we were all away on hiatus, but like I went to show the bovine a few weeks ago and uh Kothra who are from your neck of the woods and Grubert and I didn't see the first I think the Safty uh who are from Cambridge they yeah. played and like while they all were great and it was so nice to like be back at a live venue and have that somatic experience it was when we're all standing up front like smoking smoking whatever we smoke and everyone's just like can you believe we're here together like can you believe how great that felt you know like people just really not being scared to share with each other. And like, sometimes, you know, when you go into social situations, there's like social rules and there's like how you're supposed to act where I feel like when you're with the bunch of misfits, there's a lot more acceptance for the poles of emotion, big highs, big lows, big, you know, so like those types of personalities you get more access to when you're there and they're great. Like they're the spice of life, you know, like I joke about some of the so, you know, there's always those couple of people at shows, they call them the punishers. Like they just talk to you and talk to you and talk to you and talk to you and talk to you. And even them, I was like, I'm so glad to see you. Like, <laughs> Tell me about the weird thing. That's going to take you 45 minutes to explain, you know, like I'm into it. Like, you know, it was nice, nice to see everybody and hear how they've been. Is that the first and only show you've been back to? Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's uh it's been, yeah, like I said, with school and work, it's been really bananas and it's been kind of hard to get out. Like just getting to band practice has been a bit of a challenge. Yeah. But uh, so, yeah, that was the first time. And obviously like Grabert, my partner plays in it. So mm-hmm. I wanted to go out and support his, his, his jump back into getting to play again. Cause like poor guy, you know, like touring for 15 years and playing all over the world and then having to take two years off of like something he loves. I wanted to be there to be like, yes, you're back. That's great. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. I've been to like a couple shows Uh, now that like things are getting back into like full swing. I'm just trying to go to them as much as I can more so than I used to before, because I found myself always kind of picking and choosing which shows that I was going to. Now I'm just kind of just going like, uh, Oh, there's a something happened. Like, I think there's a white zombie cover band happening tonight in St. Catharines that I'm, that I'm just going to go to like, that sounds like a fun time. Oh my God. That would be fun. Yeah, I, I hear you. I feel a bit guilty about not having been out as much or like, you know, that you only get from the scene what you give to it, you know, like with everything. But I just haven't had the time. Like I'm, we're playing next weekend. We're playing, I feel like now once a month until March. So I'll probably that, you know, that ball will get rolling. That comfort will come back. I was also feeling a bit anxious about COVID, to be honest, like the rules weren't so clear the first few months when stuff opened up and I was like, Oh my God, like I just, I'm still sort of recover. Not that I'm a hypochondriac by any sense of like by, by any uh, stretch of the imagination, but it's just, I was still nervous and I didn't feel like we really all had, had all the info. Um, so once I, I think it's just like exposure therapy, like I need yeah. to go back a few more times, it'll get easier. You'll go out to all of them, you know? Yeah, the first one I went to was that crazy. Uh, there was a kill room set in ha- Hamilton. It was like that skate park, and uh, 
thing this was in september so like things weren't necessarily like this was like a show that wasn't necessarily supposed to happen no one was checking vax cards like nobody was regulating masks it was a fun time i went with my drummer but him and i were both very nervous the following days and we're like felt guilty and we're like should we have gone to that like we so it's very funny that you say it's like more like exposure therapy uh because i've gone to like what like two more shows since and i'm getting back into it i feel a little bit more comfortable and now more so because they're doing the vax and mask regulations because it wasn't like that at that show yeah there's you know and then you hear about a few venues like not taking it that seriously or not really putting the rules in place and being a bit more like i get diy culture i get that we're all like do it yourself and there's a punk mentality to it but i don't think there's like anything punk (laughs) about like purposely exposing yourself (laughs) to being very sick like i just don't that just seems stupid. Let's yes. put that in the category and not the punk category. <laughs> so hopefully, you know, venues like that, which I would love to play, will start to like um, take that a bit more seriously. You know? They have, they have. I I, I went yeah. to a show at that place since the regulations were in place, and uh, yeah, they were doing the mask and vax since. So uh, it's good to see. Have you run into anyone in our scene yet that is not? pro this stuff like i feel like everyone i've talked to has been really like nope yeah i went and got vaxxed i i'm i take this seriously like Uh, there's a lot of people that i found that like yeah are on the same page there's some who who i feel that i'm getting a vibe from them that want to push against it but understand how important it is for their sake and like uh if they want to continue doing the kind of band thing that they're kind of going yeah all right i'll like i'll do it but like they maybe not necessarily be the happiest thing about it, but I guess at the end of the day, all I care about is that they got the friggin' vax and mask. Yeah. Yeah. I actually totally forgot. I did go to another show. I went to a grind fest outside mm-hmm. uh, that was in, held at a, somebody's backyard in Toronto a few weeks ago. And that, and that had the vibe of like everyone taking it very seriously. Like we're outside and people are still masked and like still keeping distance. And like, it was, uh, giving me hope hope that we're all going to be okay i'm again like with everything going back to normal this weekend like full capacity like i'm normally one to get off the stage and go out into the crowd and i'm I'm a bit nervous now (laughs) yeah yeah. you know slide off the stage like i normally do and (laughs) sweat around on top of everybody so (laughs) so uh you're a producer at uh maker inc uh what have been some of the projects you've done in the past and how is it like has covid really affected that yeah i mean makers inc is a my god my my work is going to be feeling like they're so special because they're part they're going to be on this podcast because they're always (laughs) we're not we're not cool enough i'm like we're getting cooler um they are we're like the first ever full uh, producer collective. So like everybody that I work with is got sort of the same skill set as I do, but in different areas. Um, so we have like people that work in film, digital, AR, VR, uh, events and all that stuff. So when hit COVID hit, like I'd say 80% of us who like work in more community, like you need people to be together to actually make the things you're supposed to make, like commercials, movies, events, those, us, those producers were like, well, hope we still have a job in the next few months. Like this is the (laughs) whole system just shut down. This is fucking crazy. Um, But makers is like kind of cool in the sense that we're all about like um, 
while we work in the commercial realm, we're like really about giving back. So we did a couple of projects right at the onset of COVID to try to help the community. So we started a delivery service for like, like kind of a, an Uber Eats that didn't take any money from the actual restaurants for the more high end or like boutique restaurants that are in Toronto to try to help them survive. And we ran that from March till the end of June, which was, you know, very interesting. I'd never had to learn about delivery logistics on a municipal level. Like it was, you know, that was cool. And then we did some uh, additional work with um, for like to support our uh, frontline care workers. And we did some videos and some drawing books and other ways to raise money and awareness around that. Um, so like, even though we were slow and like, there was this great fear that we were all going to lose our jobs. Like everyone sort of came together, took a pay cut and tried to make cool shit that wasn't commercial for as long as that was going to happen. But, you know, like all good commercial and industrial and capitalistic machines, like the film industry, they figured out a way pretty quickly by June, July of beginning of the panty how to keep everybody working. And they worked really hard, not necessarily, I think maybe the most safest way, but they worked really hard to keep the whole industry going. So, I mean, once the industry got back up and running, I was kind of back to the things I hate, not hate doing, but I'm not always in love with like, you know, I helped build a drone that delivered uh, snacks to frontline care workers in weird places like roofers or lifeguards. And so, worked with a team and built a drone and a drone connector for this weird snack drawer and flew it around Southern Ontario and dropped off snacks to people. <laughs> just like <laughs> a weird job. But, um, the, but I actually got really sick last year. Um, I think the stress kind of, it kind of got to me. I think the isolation kind of got to me. And in, in, in April, I actually lost the vision in one eye. Oh, I went boy. to, yeah, yeah. I, they don't know why we, we never figured it out, but essentially I got lesions on my eye and I couldn't see and was having like brutal headaches and spent like, I had to take four months off. So I'm just kind of actually getting back to it now and just finished a project on for the assaulted women's health line where we did a stunt, uh, where we, we showed what it would be like to be trapped in someone's home, to be trapped in a home, like home is your prison. Uh, so that'll be coming out soon. Hopefully raise some funds because uh, domestic violence and intimate partner abuse has skyrocketed during the pandemic. So, um, yeah, that, the long answer to your question is that there's been lots of stuff that I've been up to. <laughs> <laughs> Anchors. Yeah. But we actually, we expanded during that time. Like I got to say my boss summit, he like my friend summit, or he's not really my boss. He, you know, he doubled down and he was like my, you know, my, my people first, my producers first, my staff first. So everybody took pay cuts and everybody worked together to figure out how to keep the company going. And he actually grew the company from like 20 people at the beginning of the pandemic to we're up to 50 and now we're in, and now we're also have offices in New York and LA. So he really made it fucking happen. I have to say. Nice. Well, shout outs to Makers Inc. Yeah, good job, Summit. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, and you also have a rad custom jewelry company called Small Vices. When did you start that up? Soft Vices. Yeah, that was when I was sick. I uh, couldn't look at screens. I literally, the first month, all of April, I just sort of spent in my bathroom because it's got no windows because <laughs> I was getting <laughs> such bad headaches. And once I sort of came out of that, I just decided I wanted to do something with my hands and I had time. and. I 
wasn't making music because we were all still really scared to see each other. And my actually, yeah, just started my mom. When I got sick, my parents were super worried because they were, they're like, you are a go, go, go person. And now this, this unknowing, unknowable disease is like literally stopped you in your tracks. Like I couldn't do anything. I finished school, but I had to get e-readers and everything and e-writers because I couldn't look at screens and stuff. So my mom brought over a box of, of toys, essentially. She was like, here's some clay and here's, here's a, uh, um, this little instrument that you play with your thumbs and here's the, you know, a sound machine for relaxation. I was like, you're just giving me a box of shit you don't want in your house anymore. But I really appreciate the thought. So she kind of inspired it in a way, I think unconsciously. I was like, well, I do like, I like clay. Let's figure it out. So yeah, I just, you know, I make when I want the, I post when I want I go, I make only three or four pairs at a time. And it's definitely not going to be paying any bills anytime soon, but it breaks even. And then whatever F I get that's left over, I normally donate to ESN the encampment network in the city because they've been doing invaluable work to help our housing crisis in Toronto. So I love that. Yeah, no, it's super cool. I saw that on your, your Instagram. It's, it's so, I said, I, I think I'm, I said it's soft vices, right? You got it. Yeah. Soft yeah, vices. Soft vices, right. yeah. Super rad. Now you mentioned earlier that you're, are you done going to school for psychotherapy or are you still going to sit? No, you're still going. Oh yeah. It's, it's supposed to be a six year course. Okay. But yeah, you know, like a, a real quick pivot out of the industry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's supposed to be a six-year course, but I don't know anybody who's ever really finished it in that time frame. It's like quite intense and quite exhaustive. And a lot happened because you're in four years of group therapy on top of your personal therapy. A lot happens for you in that time. And you kind of have to take the space to like integrate the things you learn about yourself um, and and why you are the way you are so that you can keep control of that in relation to your clients. Right. Um, so I think it's probably gonna be like another four years realistically before I'm finished. I do have the opportunity at the onset of April this year to start taking clients or to apply to start taking clients, but I don't know if I'm ready to be honest, Phil, like it's, uh, you know, I think a lot's come up for a lot of people during the panty and, to work through that and to feel like I'm in a good and consistent space before I become in service to others in a mental health teaching, because like in a mental health space, I think I might need a little more time. So I'm, yeah, taking classes on trauma, learning about the clinical applications of what I want to do. And I'm going to, I'm actually going to start hopefully taking this class called authentic movement, <laughs> which is essentially as my partner calls it hippie dance class, uh, <laughs> which is like the idea that a lot of what we learn and how we are in relationship to others is actually done in the preverbal stage. So like before you have language, before you, you can express like, you know, this upsets me or I like this, you express it non-verbally because that's all you have. And a lot of how we're made and built is in that time of our lives. So what, what it's, what authentic movement is supposed to do is supposed to help again, you'd happen to your soma and your body and express it freely without hindrance of like the things that we've learned or the social expectations that we have or anything that might stop true form, which I feel like front people who move around a lot are already kind of doing authentic <laughs> Uh, so in layman's terms what is exactly psychotherapy psychotherapy is the type i'm doing is called psychodynamic psychotherapy so the idea is is that we're injured in relationships like we are 
we can be um, mistreated, neglected, abused, uh, or maybe we had a parent that just didn't attune to us properly. And so we were injured in that relationship. And so in relationship with your therapist and talking about most, mostly your past and your relationship with your family, you can help sort of rewire and rework your biases and views that might not be helping you so healthily in relationships. So you're hurt in relationship and you heal in relationship. And that's the kind of work I'm, I'm looking to start doing soon. And psychotherapy has nothing to do with like medication, right? Nope. I will not be handing out any drugs anytime soon. Um, I'll be actually a registered practitioner. So there's like a, a lot of different levels in the medical field. I didn't know about in terms of mental health practitioners, like you've got psychiatrists, those are doctors, they hand out drugs. There's psychologists. They can also be doctors. They hand out drugs. And then there's psychotherapists, psychoanalysts, and the list goes on and on and on um, for every different type that you can imagine that works with every different type of makeup of person. So like, I no, would never sit here saying the modality I'm studying is the best. This is the only one I'd say, you know, we're complex human beings. So you might need more complex and ind- individualized treatment and you should seek out what feels best for you and what's going to work for you. So yeah, like myself, I like just do psychodynamic, but like as a traumatized person, I'm like, there's, you know, doing trauma work and work working with what they call the internal family systems therapy model, where you actually identify internally the things that like kind of block you up and fuck you up. Um, and you talk to them, you talk to these little parts in yourself and you're like, Hey, little Phil, I hear you that you're upset right now, but like big Phil's got this and big Phil will help us get over this feeling of anxiety. Uh, and let's work together to figure out what's making us anxious. So you actually like use the resources of yourself to help the parts of yourself that are injured and the parts of yourself that are struggling. So that's super interesting. It's amazing what the brain can do. It's the most plastic thing. Like when people are, you know, when people are like, it is what it is or that, it, you know, we, we are how we are. I'm like, that's the most infantilizing shit ever. <laughs> like when people accept that, it is what it is. Yeah. Okay. Maybe you pushed really hard and that is truly it. It is what it is, but, and you can't, you know, keep interacting with whatever this is because it's bad for you, but everyone can change and everyone has the capacity neurologically, unless you've been severely, like your brain has been severely fucked with physically to make these changes. Like you, mm-hmm. you, and that kind of giving people that kind of hope is like, is so needed. I feel like people think they're stuck and they're a little like, brain part the parts of their brains that feel stuck take over and they tell the rest of the system you know this is it this is all it's ever going to be and we have to start i think collectively as a society going no no our brains are like super malleable and you can totally get through this and we can we can help you rewire how your brain works with this you know that's awesome uh, lastly, before we get into some anecdotes, as you know, I'm a huge Matt, uh, lo- uh, dog lover, and I've seen him walking around in the background there. Tell me about your little, your bull terrier dog. What's oh, their name, up. and how did you acquire them? Oh man, it's gonna be a sad little story. Come here, old man. Oh, come here. That would be a party, but <laughs> come here. Come here. Come here. Come here. Um, this is Jimmy. Jimmy is 15. Oh, um, yeah. Jimmy and I have been together since I was 21 and I spent the last of my OSAP that year going and getting exactly the dog I wanted after going to the humane society three different times and starting working with these other beautiful dogs that were there and people came along and adopted them. And I I was too sad. So I just decided 
I'm going to buy what, buy the dog I want. Uh, Jimmy was the last one. He was the leftover runt that nobody wanted because he had a heart murmur and because he was too small and we've been together ever since. Oh, Jimmy. And we're kind of a bit, unfortunately, right now in hospice care, we've got a bit of Alzheimer's and uh, some arthritis and we're having a bit of a tough time, but um, you know, we're going to, we're going to stay together as long as it feels like his quality of life isn't completely compromised. So, <laughs> and, you know, I think we all sort of get dogs for different reasons, but for, for me, he was, I needed something that was going to be in my house that was going to love me, you know? Mm-hmm. I was actually going to be there and unconditionally take care of me. So we grew, we grew up together. Like he's been with me since before I had any ability to regulate and any ability to feel safe. And he really helped teach me that stuff. You know, I'm really lucky to have found him in the, in the world and that he's still around to be with me now. is like such a gift. 15 years. Like I'm so fucking lucky. Oh yeah. And he's just as lucky to have found you. <laughs> Come on. He's the run. He, he's got a great story. That's awesome. Yeah. He's, uh, you know, he's, 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 he's also, I like think a bit autistic. Like he never was, he was, I had all these expectations. I don't know if when you like get a pet, you're like, Oh, it's going to be like this old pet I had or something. Right. Like I had all these expectations that he was going to be like a tough boy dog and he was going to be protective and he was going to, you know, listen, <laughs> he's like scared of hardwood floors and like pretty autistic and like doesn't listen (laughs) you know it teaches you how to you love 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 even the things that you aren't expecting i think it's like the biggest gift your dogs our dogs give us you know
Awesome. Let's get into some anecdotes. Tell me some of the wildest stories you have from being in a band, whether it's on the road or in the studio or playing shows or being at shows. Uh, I mean, you know, the shortest Lilum set uh, ever was 12 seconds uh, <laughs> <laughs> before we got raided by the cops. I mean, I think that's like a classic uh, DIY house show party thing, but like Willem hopped in a van and we drove out to Montreal to play this house show and they put us on last, which was super nice of them. But a halfway through the show, I think, yeah, Miranda was there. And uh, I was like, I don't think we're going to get to play. And she's like, no, no, we'll get to play. Like rolling a couple joints, just getting ready. And 10 minutes, like the band before us, you know, kind of rudely played for like almost an hour. Like what punk band plays for an hour? Like how do you also have that much music? Anyways. (laughs) (laughs) And so we got on and we set up and we strummed and we played 12 seconds and they came busting the door. And I mean, it made for a cool video. We looked, we looked really badass, like in the middle of our set, having cops come in, but it wasn't as badass because it was like, you know, driving seven hours to play for 12 seconds was, I think the weirdest anecdote for Willem. We've been pretty lucky, honestly. That's crazy, and and it is it, 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 it the way that you painted that picture is I'm picturing like a like like straight out of a movie like they all come in to busting through the doors with flashlights and guns drawn, being like, "What's going on?" Yeah, pretty much, and us being like, "Okay, all right." <laughs> Except for I, I think I think Marty was like, "Let's just wait five minutes; they'll be gone." I was like, "Dude, they're not leaving. <laughs> like, there's like they're not going to leave." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just stay plugged in just in case. I was like, cool. I'm going to go back and have a cigarette. Like, <laughs> That's funny. That's funny. Have you ever played? Uh, it's, I think it's called Trackside now. Uh, F- You've played there? Yeah. Willem played there right after it changed over to Trackside because there was all that uh, appropriate drama where they kicked out the problematic people. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, we played there with like this weird i guess very like popular local ska punk band i can't remember their names they were lovely lovely folks but yeah it was a, a bit of an intimidating place <laughs> to like, say that it's it's so cool but it's also so scary like i don't know necessarily how to describe it yeah what it, is it is it the blues brothers where it's a scene where they're in the cage with the because it's like you're in a you're in a bit of a cage like yeah. it's you're in a chicken wire cage. It's two floors. It's fucking smoky as fuck. There's literally people like passed out from high levels of drug and alcohol use everywhere. Like if your black isn't brown because you're crusty enough, you like stand out, right? Like I, like my cleanliness level made me stand out <laughs> intensely. There, where I was just like, I am not crusty enough to play here. Um, and the sound system is like very interesting. There's like a weird fan right at the top edge of the stage that, at one point I, when I was headbanging, my hair got caught and I was like kind of stuck in the fan for a sec. And I was like, Oh no, this is how I die. But, uh, is it still open? Is it still, are I they still no clue? I would probably imagine that they're still open. I don't know if there's too many people telling them to, to not do it. Hmm. Um, yeah, no, I'm not, I, I'm not sure. I think they're probably got some shows slowly going out. I feel like that would be the place where there'd be no masks, no facts. No. That might be the case. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because there's uh, we were talking about how like there's most people in the music scene that are, are mostly for the vax. But there's these group of people who are like super hippies that you think that totally would be for the vax that aren't. It's this uh, 
it's a strange dynamic. This, uh, this, <laughs> this is very polarizing. Yeah. I mean, always two ends to the pole. I wish we could find a better middle ground. Yeah. I, oh, yeah. I mean, I haven't been out there. I don't know what's happening at that venue, but this is me making a huge projective assumption. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> Any more crazy anecdotes from uh, Lilim or Pretty Boy? We had Pretty Boy. We played that. We played a house show together. Yeah, I mean, that was maybe one of my favorite shows I've ever played. Like, didn't know anything about Bad Waitress going in, didn't know anything about Hellbent coming in, and was like, how do these, like, because you guys were both really established, and I was like, Pretty Boy's so new, and like, nobody, how did these people even find us? And then showing up to, like, this pure party, like, I actually have a video of you on my Instagram that was like, this is, this is punk heaven, <laughs> and it's just a video of you, like, ripping things off the ceiling, and like, it, yeah I mean there's nothing crazy about that event it was just like amazing it was just such a nice togetherness and the people that came out were really cool um and everybody was just like stoked to support Dante that poor puppy that needed some deep needed some love you know yeah yeah oh man what I I, I don't know if you remember this as vividly as I do so like you and I met because Sinner played a show that I think your partner helped put on uh in Cambridge and that's when we were initially met. And uh, and then, yeah, Hellbent's got this show booked. And I remember walking in the room and then like we caught each other's eye and we're like, wait, what? And they're like, yeah, I play in this band. And I'm like, yeah, I play in this band. And like, <laughs> we're like, sick, this is awesome. This is going to be a great time. I know somebody here because I typically yeah. don't know too, too many people in Toronto, especially if I'm going to a house party. I, yeah, same. I maybe it's just like I aging out a bit of the scene too. <laughs> like I don't know, I don't know anybody, and I know I'm like always calling people. I'll put new bands on the bill, put more women and trans and black folks on the bill, and then like and then like I don't even know where these people are playing because I don't. I'm not cool enough to be invited to the cool house shows. Right? <laughs> That's great. That show I specifically remember. We rolled up like five or six joints, and like once after another, I just we just lit them up and handed them out. And I I remember one point. I was like i don't know if i can do this like it's like performing and like that like the air not being oxygen being at smoke is very similar to the track side yes exactly <laughs> the exact same thing where you're like i don't know if i'm going to be able to inhale and exhale here without passing out yeah i was so impressed by that like six joint handoff like <laughs> i think izzy and i my drummer in that been pretty boy like talked about that forever she was just like how i don't understand physically like how did phil do that like i just what is he, is he just made of pure THC? I was like, I think, I think all that whole band might just be made of pure THC. <laughs> uh, uh, we just shot a video. I'll tell you what happened in the video off when, when we're done recording this. I don't want to give away uh, the, the, the goods just yet, but let me tell you, it's uh, pretty fucking ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. What's your go-to gas station snack? Hey, Phil. Yeah. I just want to say thanks for letting me bully you into doing this. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love that. I like uh, you. You made a great point. You definitely hit me up and you said, uh, you know, listen, there's not too many women on the show and uh, or, or people who identify as women. And, uh, you know, I was like, I agree. I, you know, like I haven't I, I've made a like I've reached out to a couple people. Um, actually, you'll be happy to hear that uh, I, I've, I've gone out of my way to since uh interview more female identifying people so uh thank you no i appreciate these kind of messages because this is what kind of makes the show everybody's it's not just my show it's everybody's 
Well, I appreciate how accessible you are, you know, like it, you know, it's never fun writing those messages to be <laughs> like, uh, let me judge this really cool thing that you're doing and like put my two cents in. But I feel like because you are like a, a strong proponent and supporter of like, of being good to each other, like that is always sort of the vibe I get from you. I, I felt comfortable doing that. I felt comfortable coming to you. And so like, thanks too, bud. Like, thanks for keeping these gates open and like, you know, caring about diversity and caring about inclusion. It matters, you know? Absolutely. Thank, thank you for reaching out. <laughs> awesome. So I've only got a couple more uh, questions left for you. What's your go-to gas station snack when you're on the road? Smart food. Smart food. Great answer. Yeah. I love me some salty, cheesy, uh, popcorn-y uh, goodness. Uh, the after effects of the cheese on your fingers gives you a secondary uh, punch of cheese, which is lovely, like the leftover cheese at the end. And, you know, it says smart food on it. So there's, it's got to be good for you, right? Like that's. They wouldn't, it, it wouldn't be called, uh, you know, like dumb food if it wasn't, right? <laughs> I feel like we should do a mock bag, like stupid food or something. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. There was one time I, I totally had eaten uh, a whole bag uh, of smart food and you get that like uh, you get that like residue on your fingers that mm -hmm. like white cheddar res residue and uh, I had uh, recently uh, started smoking dabs <laughs> so we, like you Ooh. know the, the whole torch deal and you start doing that and uh, like when I say recently like this may have been like the first time I got the whole kit set up and uh, naturally you want to go pull the bowl out right <laughs> so uh I heat the heated up uh, the the nail, and I uh, went to go pull the bowl out. And normally, my fingers would have gotten completely burnt, but um, the the residue on my fingers kind of just like caramelized, and like I did not get burned at all. Like it, like I was like, wait, what the heck? And like, yeah, you could like eat it off. It was hilarious. Oh my god! <laughs> oh my god! I feel like that's some information you should share with them. Like that's a it's a you know. <laughs> This is important knowledge. No, also fire retardant. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's not just a, a tasty good food. It's a safe. You know, it's a we have safety measures involved. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, if Lilum was the size of Metallica, at the size of Metallica, what would be the rock star dream rider? What's in the green room waiting for you? Oh. Man, I think it'd be more like action items versus like actual items, so like <laughs> like a nice plungy area. So lots of soft, comfortable pillows. I mean, for some of the folks in my band, uh, I think, you know, decent IPAs, nothing too sour, uh, pre-rolled joints of every type of varietal of weed, um, you know, smart food. Uh <laughs> <laughs> Green smoothies, you know, vegetables. I love vegetables. Um, um, I don't know, like Rand and I were joking the other day about uh, like Dom culture, like maybe having some little uh, like. Uh, <laughs> I love that. Personal assistants will call them with gimp masks to, you know, help us, uh, you know, set up our gear or move our merch or, you know. A couple just, human tables. <laughs> a couple human tables. Yeah, the joke the joke started because at the baby G, I can't if I get off the stage, I'm too short to get back on. And I'm always like embarrassingly like trying to pull my stomach up over the stage. Like I'm like, can an adult help me? And we joked about getting ourselves a little 
a little person to help me uh, get up on stage. <laughs> oh, I love that. That's such a, that might be one of my favorite answers. Yeah. Like have some, uh, yeah, some, uh, BDSM culture. Yeah. Yeah. They'll be like, they'll be holding the smart food for you just in a corner. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I still want the stuff on my fingers so they can't feed it to me in case something <laughs> fire fiery happens. I need to protect myself, so. but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> just in case i love that that's so great <laughs> now this is a pretty big question um but most you should be able to answer this what are your top five favorite artists if you can't give me five give me three. Oh, okay um i mean my like go to i think maybe more i'd rather do like my pump up artists so like I love a good Azealia Banks two and two like that beat is harsh and always makes me like want to give her uh, Childish Gambino like this is America again that song always gets me up on the, in a in a good and fiery and like stoked place and then uh, I shall do fourth the third uh, cult anything cult leader nice anything, anything cult leader like obviously Lightless Walk is my favorite album but all of their music makes me really happy. Um, and then from a lyrical standpoint, I, and I say this like anytime I get interviewed, but the most, uh, most gnarly lyricist out there, I think is Fiona Apple. Really? Yeah. That's awesome. She's, she's scathing AF. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I th she's, uh, you know, she's OG. She's been around since like the early nineties. She's always a singer songwriter. She put out that, that one hit criminal that everybody always remembers, but then like the work she's been doing after that, like is so like, do what the fuck you want that I'm always really inspired, which is also very like Lilum. We do what we want. There's no one genre that we want to stick to. There's no one topic that we're going to just like write a whole album about. And same thing with her. Like she just, like even in her last album, she talked about how she recorded some of it on GarageBand and like her dogs were barking in the background, but that was the best take. So her dogs are on the album. Yeah. You, I'll be entirely honest. I don't think I've ever listened to Fiona Apple. Mm, the, her what, last two albums are great. What is that? A, is that the record I should start with? Uh, the I So the record you would start with, I guess, is her 2012 al album. And it's like 14 words long. So I'll, I, the first two <laughs> Oh, the album, like the idler of the wise is the one I would suggest starting with. Um, and then the one that she just put out bolt cutters, which Mark was nice enough to give me the album on vinyl for Christmas is like some next level shit. I got to grab the new, uh, you guys pressed uh, vinyl of Lilum, right? We did actually this amazing guy, Cam, uh, who's owns this company called hibernation release uh just reached out out of the blue that he's from philly and he's like i love this album i want to print it on vinyl here's what i do here's who i work with you can ask around on the scene about me if you want to make sure i'm safe and then he just did it and then uh scott from ancient temple records came in and was like we want to do your tape so yeah we got vinyl and tape now which is like was super nice of everybody <laughs> thanks everybody <laughs> i definitely gotta grab me a copy of uh your record on vinyl yeah, the way to ghost record for sure. I'll keep one aside for you, bud. Uh, that this is America too. Like that, like that video is just as powerful as the song. Like I almost find that like I can't listen to the song by itself. Like I need that video. It need, needs to be just as impactful. It was beautiful. Like yeah. the film, the filmic work was amazing. 
Yeah. I love when, and, and it felt like kind of like an, it had a bit of interpretive dance in it too. Like I love that kind of dance work and when it's done right and, and flow, like, you know, that movie, uh, oh, children of old children of men, like that final, you know, that movie. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. With that one long scene, the one long scene. And that's like sort of that vi- same vibe of that. This is America video. And I love that stuff. You're just like, yes, technically challenge yourselves. It looks so cool. Uh, are you a fan of uh, Turnstile at all? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> the only reason why I bring that up is uh, like the the they they've put out like a like a short video for a couple of their songs, and their vocalist does like a lot of interpretive dancing on stage. It's like it was in the same breath. It was like it just reminded me of the band. Oh, okay, yeah, I'll give it a give it a go. I mean, Miranda's really into them right now, so she's been wearing a lot more bucket hats to jam. But um, <laughs> I, I, I past that, I don't know much about them other than the bucket hat stuff. So I'll give them a go too. Yeah, their latest record's super good. Uh, you know what? Uh, I think we'll end it there, Kristen. Thank you okay. so much for taking the time to do this with me. Thanks, Phil. I'm I can't wait to see you in real life soon. I know. Um, where can all the listeners find all the social medias? And if there's anything else you have left to plug or give a shout outs to, now would be your time. Uh, well, we're on the Bandcamp, Willem T.O. Bandcamp. Uh, it has all of our music on there. Um, we're also on the Instas, Willem underscore T.O. You can DM us there too if you want to grab music. We have, like I said, vinyl and tape. Um, and we're playing our first show back since the Panty, Nov 6 uh hard luck bar with loose teeth and grabber so come out and and we'll uh sweat on you <laughs> wearing a loose teeth hat i know there's they're super i haven't met them yet either but they're so nice <laughs> oh yeah those, those are good folks yeah right on uh so we're gonna end the show with martyrs by lilum
Folks, that was my conversation with Kirsten White of Lilum, former Pretty Boy, uh, Makers Inc., Soft Vices, and overall good pal. So glad that she could come on the show and join me. We started off the show with a Lilum track called Free the Topiary. In the middle, you heard A Pathetic Dog. And then we ended with Martyrs. And all, all that is uh, off of Weighted Ghosts, uh, the record that Lillen put out last year. Definitely go support it. They got their vinyl on their band camp. Go support them there. Uh, yeah. The beats that you heard uh, while I was uh, plugging dates earlier were provided by the one and only Musashi. And uh, yeah, don't forget to like, subscribe, rate, review, follow us on Instagram. B-A-N-D-E-C-D-O-T-E-S. And uh, yeah, if you want to be a part of the show, shoot me an email, banecdotes at gmail.com. All right, folks, I'm getting out of here. Take it easy. <laughs>